Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the Venture Fizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. For the 28th episode of our podcast, I interviewed George Colony, who is founder, chairman, and CEO of Forrester Research. George originally started Forrester out of his basement, and the company has gone on to become one of the world's most influential market research and advisory firms. Forrester went public in 1996, and it is still traded on the NASDAQ today. These days, George is also involved as the founder of a new startup called Your Call Football, which is modernizing the game of football by giving fans a chance to influence a live sporting event and a real-time competitive gaming experience. Your Call Football actually just completed a very successful inaugural season. In this episode, we cover lots of topics, like George's participation in the World Economic Forum in Davos, the whole background story of Forrester, how an interview with former NFL commissioner Paul Tagliabue led to the aha moment of Your Call Football, All the details on getting a new football league set up for its inaugural season, plus the future of the company and technology, and of course, lots of useful advice for entrepreneurs. Okay, quick side note. We've had some amazing interviews for this podcast with founders, investors, and operating executives, and we have several more great guests lined up. However, I did want to ask our listeners a question. Who do you want me to interview for this podcast? I want to make sure that we're sharing the stories from the people that interest you the most. So if you're interested in submitting a recommendation for a guest, please feel free to email me at info at All right, without further ado, here's my interview with George. George, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Much appreciated. All right. So I always like to start off the conversation with something kind of unique and interesting. And obviously going through your backgrounds, you have participated in the World Economic Forum several years. So how does one get involved with that? And you know, I always have this vision in my head that that type of conference, you're walking around and you're running into Bono or Bill Gates or some world leader. Is that truly what happens? Yeah. You know, it, the, the, the reason, uh, the way we got involved was that they needed technology research. Mm-hmm. So Forrester began to supply research to uh, to the World Economic Forum. Then they invited me to come. I actually went for 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 twelve years to the World World Economic Forum. Got it, okay. and it was very cool. I mean, if fun things would happen, I'd sit at a table. I sat at a table one year. I turned to this guy next to me and said, "Now, what is your name?" He said, "My name is Sergey Brin." I, I said, "What do you do?" He said, <laughs> "He said I started this company called Google." I said, "It sounds familiar." And, <laughs> Interesting. And, you know, five years later, he's running the World Economic Forum. So it's, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Another, another time, I was, I was sitting in a restaurant. Um, it's a little t- Davos, a little tiny town. I was sitting in a restaurant with my back to the to the to the restaurant for lunch, and a very good friend who runs a big PE co- a company was sitting across from me, mm-hmm. and he said, "Don't look now, but here comes Bill Clinton." And my friend had worked in the Clinton White House, so so Clinton comes over over to uh, Glenn, shakes his hand, turns to me, and, and I, I said, "Bill, how are you?" And he said, that's Mr. President. <laughs> Mr. President. But anyway, it's, it's an informal cool. place. That so. is a very great story. Yeah. Very cool. Well, let's uh, dive into your background. So um, if I understand correctly, so you graduate from college, you spend some time in a you know market research firm, and then not too long after you start Forrester, correct? Yeah, 1983. Wow. Out of your basement. Out of my basement, I lived in uh, in North Cambridge, and I lived in a triple decker, and I launched it in the basement. I'd, I'd get up in the morning, and you know, in the in the in the, the center deck, the middle deck of the of the triple decker, those three apartments. My little tie on my Wall Street Journal. I'd go down in the basement, sit at a, sit at my you know, uh, it was a a door, two file cabinets, answer the phone, Forrester Research, 
And uh, as I tell everyone at Forrester, I did every job of the company badly <laughs> uh, from answer the phone to, you know, get the mail. So yeah, that was 1983. And what prompted you to start the company? So I had come from a long line of entrepreneurs. Uh, my family was in the textile industry in New England for about 150 years, but a lot of entrepreneurs um, back in the 19th century, 20th century. I was going to be, you know, in those family businesses, the sons go into the business, you know, when their fathers retire. Mm -hmm. Luckily for me, the whole thing went out of business. <laughs> but I was released into the world. And um, I was actually, I, ma I majored in government in college and did a lot of work in political polling techniques. So, and I was also a long time, long story, which I won't bore you with, but mm -hmm. I had been uh, in public high school in New Hampshire. We were connected to Dartmouth timesharing. So there I was at age 14 on a teletype, you know, writing basic programming. So when I got out of college, I wanted to combine research with technology. I worked for a company called the Yankee Group in Boston, great company. Mm -hmm. And then I always wanted to start my own company. The IBM PC had been announced. And I said, you know, what I really want to do is research on the IBM PC, how that's going to change the world. And that's what Forrester originally was launched to do. And how did you come up with the name? It's a very deep, dark secret. Um, which I'm about to reveal on your podcast. Wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but it's it is my middle name. Is it really? Yeah. It's it's my grandmother's maiden name. Okay. It's actually my son's middle name. Two of my sisters have it for middle name. So it's uh it's it's old family name. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I was trying to connect yeah. the dots and I, I couldn't find it anywhere. So yeah, that's it. Well, let's talk about the growth of the company. Obviously, you grew it to a point where you had a public offering and it still is a you know flagship company in the Boston community. So let's talk about that evolution of growing a company from scratch to that you know point where it's still highly relevant today. Yeah, you know, it in the in the 1980s, we were small, but we had a we had big throw weight, especially in the media. Mm -hmm. And we were always getting called from Wall Street Journal and New York Times. I was getting quoted on everything from mainframes to 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 mini computers and and PCs. Um, we were always very, very media focused and uh, you know that we that was the best way to market for us um, everyone always tells you hey you know if you get your company to a million dollars you hit a wall and then if you get it to then if you go get over that wall at 10 million dollars you hit a wall the fact is there are walls all the way along uh, in the progress of building a business it, mm -hmm. it the reason I do it is that I, I just find it very intellectually challenging you know it, it, you never know what's coming you never know the problem that you're gonna have to solve I have a number of nieces and nephews and they always say, you know, Uncle George, you know, what, what's business about? And I always say, if you don't want to solve 10 problems a day, do not go into business because mm -hmm. that's really that's really what it's about. It's, it's 10 problems and pro probably three of them you would never have been able been able to have anticipated. So it's it's very intellectually stimulating. And I'm one of those people. I, I love the clients. Um, our, our clients are very large corporations. They have massive challenges dealing with the technology, staying up with the technology. And so what I love most, what I, what I get the greatest reward from is when we work with a company, they use our advice and they do incredible things with that advice. Um, so it's, it's been a, it's been a great voyage. I've loved every minute of, of, of my career. I've just, I've, I feel very lucky. I found something that I love to do, which I think is valued in the world. And um, I still love doing it actually. And, and think about the pace of change. You just touched upon that and the technology shifts that you've witnessed. Like, can you talk about that? I mean, you start, you know, mainframe, client server, web, mobile, yeah. and it's, you know, continuing IoT. And so can you talk about different shifts and how quickly it's moving even, you know, today? So I, I like to tell people I feel like I'm a thousand years old. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've literally, I've lived through like six periods of technology. 
Yeah. Um, and it, what what we were analyzing way back when Forrester was was young is you know my, my, here's an example. My iPad runs at one dot seven gigaflops, and in 1997, my iPad would have been one of the top 20 supercomputers in the world. <laughs> I mean, it's, so That's crazy. It, but but you know th this is what makes Forrester go. I mean, changes are gasoline. The yeah. more change there is in the marketplace, the faster we go. The more value is our value is needed in the world. So it's um, <clears throat> it 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 really and uh, you you have to be able to shed skin really quickly, right? You, if you're if you're a cloud guy, you have to become a cybersecurity guy. Then you have to become an expert in blockchain. And it's the your ability, the speed of shedding that skin, and the 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 speed of adaptation is really that's that's that makes Forrester thrive. Yeah, no, it's uh, insane how much is going on now. Yeah. And w what about the evolution of the CIO? I mean, that's obviously just must be such a different role than what it was 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, you know, it was, it was way back when it was called the director of MIS. It, you know, these people really, they had short sleeves, they had, they had pocket protectors, uh, they were badly dressed. Um, they probably did not report to the CEO. They reported up through a CFO in many cases. And, and they really ran the ledger system, you know, the, the, the accounting systems of the company. Um, to, today, the job is, it's so different, primarily primarily because, well, this is a little, little bit of a long story. I'll reduce it for you. But mm -hmm. we believe uh, in looking at our data on consumers that we're living through a period that we call the age of the customer, where the customer is taking power from institutions like corporations or governments, primarily using technology. And if companies are going to survive, they're going to have to be able to adapt to these very, very dynamic and fast-changing customers, that behavior. So if you look at the job of a CIO, um, the CIO really has two jobs now. Job one, they have to keep the back office of their company humming and running efficiently. That's critical. I mean, if the back office at Goldman Sachs stops, they lose $5 million a minute. So that's job one is keep the back office running. That's not, but that's actually not where Forrester focuses. Forrester focuses on the other, on the second job which is to build what we call business technology. And business technology are the systems, processes, and technologies to win, serve, and retain customers. So it is the, if you, if you will, it is the front, it is the front end technology of a company. And the really great CIOs are able to, to have back office running efficiently, but are very aggressively and very creatively building business technology to win, serve, and retain those customers. That's the that's really job one now for these for these CIOs. And by the way, if you look at tech growth, tech tech will grow about five percent worldwide this year, but most of that growth is coming in the BT side, not in back office. So this is where all the action is. The other area that is just exploding, especially with all the activity in Boston, is security. Right. So that's I see on the you know radar for every company, every consumer. Like so. How do you even track? There's so much different nuances to security. It just must be a very tough job to track all the trends within that realm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, by the way, security is the fastest growing practice at Forrester. Yeah. Um, yeah, as we like to say, companies get, are divided in half. Half of the companies have been hacked. The other half have been, say, say they have not been hacked, but they have been hacked. Yeah. yeah so it, it is, and, and, and if you look at this through the lens of back office and BT, mm -hmm. really the primary cybersecurity problem now is not back office because we have, you know, we have, we have good firewalls, et cetera, good protection there. Not that it's perfect, but it's okay. The real problem is on the BT side, is on the, 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 the business technology, which is used by customers, how much privacy, how much security is there? You know, when you lose the credit card of your customer, if you're Home Depot, 
right? You take a massive brand hit. So most of the practice for Forrester is focused around the BT side of cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. And by the way, it's not going to be solved. There's not like a, hey, we did it. It's done. Yeah. This is a forever guerrilla war for every company uh, because the, there's too much IQ out there trying to trying to hack through, trying to get those those credit cards and trying to get to the customer. So it is a, it, it's a fascinating and never-ending war. Yeah, it's point. been obviously uh, a war that a lot of companies in Boston are fighting with, you know, Rapid7 and Carbon Black and a whole slew of other venture-backed companies. So it's uh, definitely a strength of the Boston tech ecosystem. Yep, definitely. Yep. Now, one of the things that I think uh, fascinating is uh, you've led your company from beginning to uh, today, right? So it's several years of retaining your uh, role as CEO and chairman. Yeah. Like, how have you been able, like, that's uncommon in today's world. So how have you been able to, you know, retain that position, you know, continue to have the fire in your belly every day to do what you do and what you love to do? Uh, and what advice would you give to others that are looking to do the same? Yeah, well, <clears throat> it helps when you own 43% of the company. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That, 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 that does help. Um, yeah. I, I've only sold shares once, and that was in 2000. Hmm. Um, we did a secondary and I did sell some shares then, but I have not sold any shares since 2000 and I don't intend to, right. um, I'm a great believer in the story. I'm a great believer in the value. Or I just, I just think that my, my assets are, are better placed here than they would be elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a great believer in the story. Of course, I'm a large shareholder. Um, I've, I, I think a lot of it is, is about our board and about our board and our people. Um, we've had a, we've had a terrific board, uh, since we were public, we've been public about 22 years now. So we had a very good board to begin. And now I've just changed over the board in the last several years, but the, you know, the very high quality, um, of board members, they pushed me hard. Um, they're, they are very strong partners with me, even though they're really their number one job is to be fiduciaries for the shareholders. Um, I think the board has been a big, a big key for me without a good board. I never, we never could have grown the company to the size. Uh, that's one. And then two is a, you know, I just feel gifted that so many terrific people have decided to make their careers at the company. Um, the average the average tenure of an analyst here is about eight years. Um, we have people, analysts who've been here for over 20 years. It's It has been a very solid, very steady group of people who have decided to come here and, and really build the value for our clients. So that's, I mean, I'm lighting the stage here, but there's, you know, it's a much bigger story than just me. Yeah, of course, that takes a team, no doubt. Absolutely. I well, think you also, I think you also have to have, you have you have to have passion for it. And people yeah. people ask me the question, you know, hey, what makes a great forester right? And I always say, I think about that, and I say, really, one thing makes a great forester right, and that is passion. Mm -hmm. you know, do they have passion for this job? This is a very difficult job. You have, you it's you have to you have to say things sometimes that are difficult in the marketplace. You have to be be speaking the truth at all times. So you can't do this unless you have massive passion for this. And the great forest rights have that. Yeah, you can't fake it. Absolutely, no way. Yeah. Well, let's shift gears. Um, yeah. You know, what I think is interesting is, uh, you know, you, you had this idea for a startup that is now actually playing games. It's called Your Call Football. So this is like your next endeavor that yeah. uh, I, I, I'm excited to hear about. So this is live action football that the fans get to call the plays. So there's so much involved when I saw, you know, the, you know, the, the highlight reel of what you guys are doing. I'm like, wow, there's technology, there's uh, crowdsourcing of play calling that gets sent to the coaches, that gets sent to the actual quarterback to tell the team. So there's a lot to this whole league, which is very interesting in today's world of esports and fantasy football. So anyways, I want to take a 
step back because it's not like you thought of this idea a couple of weeks ago and now it's yeah. created. There's a lot that you have to get players, right? So coaches, um, how did you come up with this idea for your call football? And I'd love to hear more of the details on what you guys have done so far. Yeah, it's, it's actually kind of a fun story. Um, so this goes back many years, probably seven or eight years. Um, we had Paul Tagliabue, who was then the, the second commissioner yeah, of the NFL yeah. at a forester forum. And we had him up on a stage and I, I was, he gave a little speech and then I went up on the stage and sat with him. And we were sitting talking and, and right in the middle of me uh, you know, having this dialogue with him, I said, hey, Paul, and we were in front of a thousand people, by the way. <laughs> I, I, said, <laughs> I said, hey, Paul, I know how to compete with you. He said, really, how would you do that? And I said, it's very simple. Let use technology and let the fans call the plays. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of looked at me, gave me this quizzical look. It was kind of fun. And and then afterwards we walked, you know, his thing was over. We walked off the stage and he grabbed me and he said, you know, that's a very cool idea. Mm -hmm. He said, the NFL will never do that. You know, we are we are we are we are too we we are too uh, conservative, we're too uh, you know, too traditional. The coaches, you know, the coaches are the gods, the players don't want to be told what to do. But that's a very cool idea. And there was actually an executive from Apple and it was in the audience who grabbed me and said, George, if you ever do that, call me. That's a very <laughs> cool idea. So, you know, it was one of those things that you know, I couldn't shed it. It was like it was like this itch that I couldn't stop scratching. A couple of years went by, I didn't do anything. And then I hired a consulting firm to do a little work on this and they did work and said, hey, this could be a potential. And then, you know, I just couldn't I couldn't get away from it. Um, and so about five years ago, I went to an ex- executive from Forrester, Julie Merringer, mm -hmm. who had left Forrester. And I had, I said, hey, you know, I've got this idea. I, and I'm, I'm running Forrester. You know, could you potentially run this? Uh, let's invest some money and let's check this out. So we spent, by the way, you're right, massive hurdles here. Yeah. Technology-wise, big hurdles. So we spent four and a half years developing the technology. Actually, Cantino, who's based here in Boston, yeah, great did a great terrific, it was a, been a fabulous partner with us on this. And um, so we, we the, the, that was hurdle one is we needed real time technology that could potentially handle millions of transactions in real time. That's one. Mm -hmm. Then two, you need real time streaming, right? right. Because you, you 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 you've got a synchronized game here. So um, and actually, uh, CBS Sports was going to be ally with us on this, but they they could they had uh, like ten second uh, latency in their streaming. Okay. And we found this company called Phoenix, P-H-E-N-I-X. They're going to make a lot of money, I think. And they have zero latency streaming. We wow. allied with them. And um, after all this work, we, we, put, we put the games on the field down in Vero Beach, Florida. Uh, actually, it was last month. We played four games. And it was incredible. I mean, I thought it wouldn't work. Right. <laughs> None of us thought it would work. We thought it would be a complete disaster. Right. But, you know, the tech worked. The streaming worked. The football looked professional. We were able to, uh, we had 90 players, many, we had five ex um, Super Bowl players on the field, uh, including Robert Meacham from the New Orleans Saints. So the wow. football looked great players. We had great coaching. Mike Sherman, who coached the Green Bay Packers, was one of our coaches. Sure. Merrill Hodge was the other coach. Mm -hmm. We had two teams competing. And, you know, it it worked. It was unbelievable. We had, uh, so, you know, bar, you know, Barstool Sports. Yeah, of course. Uh, they were they were playing the game, 
And they had 25,000 people watching on their stream, watching them play the game. No way. So like, yeah. So like a sort of a mini Twitch moment there. Right. Uh, yeah. So it, uh, it, it, it came together and just amazing. Now, this is not competing with the NFL because this, yeah. this is very different because in one hand, you're holding your phone and the, the coach is pushing out to the fans the three plays and the, the fans are calling the play and that majority play is going to run. Mm-hmm. So you're, in one hand, you're holding your phone. The other, in the, and, and then you're looking at your TV if it's internet connected or you're looking at your iPad or your computer to watch the live stream. But the really cool thing about it, and this, this was invented a couple of years ago by us, was, is the game within the game. Mm-hmm. Because as you're calling plays, our super secret algorithm is, is, is grading you on your play calling and you're able to compete with your friends in your leagues to see who's going to win that game as far as points. And uh, so it was, it was, so when you call a play, you watch what happens on the field. What happens on the field has high impact on your scoring as to what play you called. Right. Cause so, if, if you make a call of something that the crowdsourcing element chooses, like, like if you're, you're going against the grain yeah. and the play fails, you actually benefit, right? It's kind of like more points. Yeah, if you call a play that the coach would have called, but the fans don't, you get a points. If you go with the fans and the fan play has high efficacy, you know, you get a ten yard play, then you get high points. And uh, it was, it was, it was, it's a lot, it's a lot of fun to play. And we think it's going to be an incredible medium for advertising because, for two reasons: one, you've got two screens for advertising, right? One in your hand and one in the TV. That's mm-hmm. one. And two, you can't look away from this. You can't DVR this and watch it three hours later. Mm-hmm. You you are there. You're so engaged in the play. It's a it's a it's a lot of fun. It, but it, believe me, it, it, it every second is absorbed, and advertising will, will, will be a big part of that. So I got a thousand things running through my yeah, head right now because it's like wow, like so because when I was digging deeper into it, and I saw some of the interviews with Julie, uh, you know, and this is like almost like second chance for some of these players too. Like some of the NFL scouts are looking at these games and looking at the performance of players, right? Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah, we had uh, so every player we had a, a a video group of four people down there. So every single play for every single player is put up is put up on the internet for uh, for the NFL or for the CFL to look at. So every that's what one of the reasons the players are there is that is that their you know their play is being evaluated and it's being shown to uh, to the NFL. Mm-hmm. And I think one uh, since we ended our le- we ended the season two weeks ago, five players have gone to the NFL. I think seven players have gone to the CFL. So it's these players are getting picked up, which is kind of cool. So how did they recruit such high quality players for something that was an idea at first? I think yeah, that's so, the other piece. So we, we went to this company called Optimum Scouting and they scouted all the players um, and they were able to put up, they brought 90 players down there and, and they were, they were terrific. I mean, of course there's also very good coaching. We had a coaching staff. The coaching staff, I think was 13 coaches. Marty Schottenheimer's brother was one of the coaches uh, all the names you would know. And so they came, the players are there. Excellent players came down for coaching for film, but also to play, to be part of the, it's also very historic. It's, it's a, it's a very new, cool, new idea using technology and sport and sports and you know, football together. So, uh, they, they were, it was, it, we were very impressed with the, all the personnel involved. So it sounds like it needs to be bundled in with like Comcast too, where they have the sidebar with the scores, right? That would be the plays and exactly. I mean, just, so, yeah, okay, we're, so, yeah, we're we're looking uh, we're looking to use the technology for maybe in, in, in for political debates, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. for other sports, and so there's a lot of applications here. The whole concept of 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 fans controlling real time, real action, real life is a very cool concept. 
Very cool. Yeah. Because yeah. like, I don't think, um, I don't know, like I don't watch a Twitter stream while there's something going on, right? Even though that functionality exists on the X1 platform. Yeah. But, you know, if I was participating in something like this, I would obviously want to look at one screen and choose my plays versus yeah. looking at my mobile device and looking back at the TV. Yeah. But I assume you'd have to go through comcast to get on their box right or, exactly yeah there's a lot of potential here and uh, what i also loved about it keith was the the interaction between the players and the fans so uh you know robert meacham uh, who he was yelling at the fans you're calling the wrong plays you're calling the wrong plays <laughs> one of the other players said go on instagram and tell them what call what play to call <laughs> That's fun. But, but the players totally got it they, they got into it yeah. So, uh, so what, what are you thinking? Like for the next, is there a next season already? Like what's, what's next for your call football? Yeah. So, so we're evaluating all of our data from, uh, from, from this first season, which mm -hmm. we called our pilot season. Yep. And, um, we're looking potentially to play. So when the NFL makes their final cut, which is the first week in September, you, uh, they cut about 30 players per team. So that's 30. That's, that's over, that's a thousand players they cut in that week. Wow. So we're thinking of taking uh, of of drafting from those thousand players straight into the second season, which we would run in, uh, in in September. Now it's kind of a crowded season because you have the NFL underway, you have, you have college underway. We we would like we would likely do this on Tuesday nights. People mm -hmm. are in football mode, right? Here comes winter; they're getting in football mode. So uh, potentially play a season uh, in September. Then we play we would play our third season the weekend uh, beginning the weekend after the Super Bowl, because that that's that's what Everyone, all sports lovers call the worst weekend of their lives. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah, it's exactly. Horrible. So, so that weekend, <laughs> we would on. kick off for our third season. And we okay. play a season then. Yeah. That's and smart then we, timing. And we maybe play another, a, third, a fourth season in the fall of 2019. So that's our, that's our current possible plan. And do you consider, do you think these will be the smaller schedules too? Like the five game, four game schedules? Yeah. You know, it, we, 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 again, we have to look at all of our data from the first season, the pilot season, we, mm -hmm. you know, we're very data focused and data driven. Um, what we're thinking is that, is that two hours, because the games are two hours long, not three hours or two hours, the two hour long game, man, you are spent after these games. Mm -hmm. I mean, you are really, it's as if you were running along the sidelines, you know, calling the plays, <laughs> you're spent. So we're thinking of, of potentially some of the ideas is, is to have is have two one hour games, have a one hour game, reset, have a halftime, and then run a second one hour game, mm -hmm. because there are also cash prizes for the winners. Uh, we awarded fifty thousand dollars of cash prizes for people the high scores for, for over the three games and over the each game over each halftime, and um, so. It, it actually kind of makes it kind of a little bit more fun, we think, potentially, to have two games running. So if you don't win in the first game, hey, reload for the second game. I'll tell you, it's just such a strong combination of all the things that matter these days, right? Like, you know, DraftKings yeah. is doing incredibly well with daily fantasy sports, and that's just like, you know, constant. Like, you're just like not playing a full season against your friends, right? It's the daily instant gratification thing. And exactly. then you got, obviously, a great game of, you know, football. And then esports is just blowing up, right? So it's just uh, the perfect combination. It's also a, it's a younger demographic too. I mean, yeah. That's what we we're looking at all of our data and demographics. Very young demographic. One of the problems problems of the NFL, as you probably, you probably noticed, is that their viewership's dropping, mm -hmm. and their demographics are 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 increasing. It's an older demographic. Right. So this is bringing in a very very young cohort, which uh, which advertisers like. You need to do that for baseball somehow too. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> I can't watch baseball. It's too I slow. Can't. Yeah. Yeah. 
as a lifelong Red Sox fan, it's like, you know, once they won the first two World Series, I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. Right? Like, it kind of like lost its luster of that desperation every year. And then when they won the third one, I'm like, oh, I didn't even really understand that that was happening, that they were having such a great season. Then, yeah. so it just, uh, it's kind of sad. But yeah. Uh, one, well, one, last, one last thing yeah. in the football, Keith, is that um, we're very, very, very safety conscious. Mm -hmm. uh, is we're using all the most advanced advanced equipment, all the most advanced helmets. Um, we have eliminated the two most dangerous plays in football, which are the kickoff and the punt. They've eliminated out of our game because we're you know we 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 want this to be we want people to be as healthy as possible. No, it's a contact game. It's a rough game. Uh, it's a, so, but we want it to be as safe as possible. So, does the team start off at the twenty? Is that what you do? Or the uh, you, we start off at the thirty. The thirty, okay. Get up at the thirty. Yep. Got it. Yep. Great. Well. Um, switching gears again, uh, so for entrepreneurs that are looking to build a company, um, what advice would you give to uh, you know that bootstrap founder that's just trying to get traction to start getting momentum in the market to you know trying to hit scale? Like like you know, what, what, I'm sure you get you know questions for advice all the time. Like what what advice do you share to, to founders that are trying to do that? Well, just to, just to start off, it, it's scary. You know, yeah. starting starting businesses. This is not for the faint of heart. Mm -hmm. um, for some reason, for me, Sunday nights were always the scariest because you know I wasn't paying myself. Luckily, I was married, and and you know, and my wife was a lawyer. Uh, but I, I'd wake up in the middle of Sunday night saying, "What the hell am I doing here?" Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going to I'm going to work tomorrow. I'm not paying myself. What's going to happen? So it's you know, there's scary moments. Uh, you just have to put up with that. But my best, I think, my best advice would be uh, really. This will sound like you know homilies and motherhood and apple pie, but you know three things. One is um, talk to everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, just just get out there and talk to everybody. Don't sit in your office. Get out there and talk to everybody. You know, everyone who's done it, everyone who could potentially do it. Um, you know, the, the entrepreneurs that I see who are most successful, are the ones who they made those connections. You never know where you know where that connection is going to come from. That's going to make the whole thing go. You just never you never know. Um, I remember early on in the company, I used to open the open all the mail because I did every job. And one of the envelopes, I think I'm, I'm going to throw this one away. It looks like garbage. I threw it away. Then later that day, I took it out, and ripped it open. There was a check in it. <laughs> <laughs> so you never know where that you know what's going to be in every envelope. What's going to be in every conversation? So talk to everybody. One, yeah. two is that you know it's all about the client, your customers and clients. You know, yeah, you get your problems and your issues, but you know, just drop everything for that for the customer or client. That's just Typical. That's obvious. Mm -hmm. um, and then probably number three, you know, I don't think many entrepreneurs think about this, but if I look, if look, to look back at my career, I would say that when I got professional training in leadership and management, and I've only had probably three weeks in my life, they were incredibly impactful for me. You know, you 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 can you can learn how to do this. Mm -hmm. You can learn how to lead. You can learn how to manage. Um, you may not learn to be fabulous, but you you can learn to be good. You know, to do to do this well, so I would say get out there and get you know and, and get and be developed, you know, be, always be in a what we call a learning mindset, um, you know, be in that be in that mindset, and um, and I probably the, probably the fourth thing I already said it before, I'll say it again, but um, if you don't have passion for it, get, you know, get the hell out, you know, you find something you, that you can that 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 you're going to be, it'll be all consuming, it will be all, you know, intellectually connecting with you. And it's, Find something that that is just going to intrigue you forever. Yeah, so, that's, yeah, that's great advice. Yeah, if I'm a startup and I'm looking to get on the radar of Forrester and one of your analysts, how, how do I do that? You know, I really don't know. 
<laughs> not, being, not being an analyst at Forrester, but um, so we we do uh, we we have a we we have a graphic that we we run reports called Wave Reports, mm -hmm. and Wave Reports look at the the vendors in specific markets, and we run two sets of Wave Reports, what we call NowTech Waves, which are the you know the old you know the the, the, the legacy companies like IBM, but that we've just started running what we call New Tech Waves or New Waves. And we're, we'll be looking at about 700 new companies this year and waving them, which means putting them on a graphic showing who's really good, who's kind of in the middle, and who's lagging. Um, so I, what I would say is that uh, you know have your PR people call our analysts and connect with them because you know find out we, you know what what analyst is covering your space, know that analyst's name, call them, you know get on their radar screen because I think what you want to do is you want to end up in one of those waves. Mm -hmm. You want to be in one of those 600, 700 companies that are in those waves. And in the past, I don't know if you guys are still doing this, but I, I know that uh, the you know people from Forest had reached out to us about different events that you guys host at your headquarters, yep. where you invite startups in yeah. and allow them to demo their product or you know have showcase. I think it was like a showcase type of yeah. event, which yeah, is great know, for that, Boston. Yeah, that was actually started by our CIO, and it was, yeah. it was just kind of a, a, a whim of, of an idea. But we call it uh, the tech jamboree. I forget what we call it. But we just basically invite them all in and uh, these these little vendors. And then, of course, of course, we're here. Forster's here. And analysts are here. But also we bring clients in. Right. And we do that about a, a couple of times a year. I'm not sure when the next one is. But we're actually running now a new uh, event actually in Boston. And it's called Emerging. It's, a, it's an event just for emerging technology companies. Hmm. And what we do there is it's, it's emerging technology, technology companies are either sponsoring or on the stage with us. And then who's in the audience is mainly large corporations who are looking to, you know, to bring in this new tech companies to help them solve a problem. What so a fantastic that, opportunity. That event is in summer. Actually, it's in July. Kind of a crappy month to do it, July, but we're doing it in July. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. Stay it's, tuned. Exactly, exactly. Now, one of the other things I know about Forrester is uh, there's a lot of connections to music. Um, yeah. You know, if you go into the lobby, isn't there like a guitar and amp where you can actually play while you're waiting for your guests, you know, for your person to come down and greet you? Yeah, in in, in every Forrester office around the world, you know, in Singapore and in New Delhi, uh, there's a there's a Gibson Les Paul in oh, the lobby. That's so cool. So, yeah, and and so actually, it's kind of fun here. The corporate headquarters is here in Cambridge, so we have a, we have a when you walk in, there's a seating area for guests and the Les Paul's right there. And then when your meeting starts, you get up and then you walk into the office and you know go up to a conference room someplace. But we have a, uh, maybe I shouldn't tell, say this publicly, but I will. But if, <laughs> if, if you pick up the Les Paul and uh -huh. play some music, right. when you get up to go to your meeting, we give you a songbook of the Allman Brothers. Really? Signed, signed by us, yeah. So, that you is know, so cool. Play music in our lobby. So. <laughs> yeah, so there is a reward for that. Um, that is and, awesome. And all, all of our uh, conference rooms uh, for our clients are named after the Allman Brothers. The Allman Brothers are my favorite band. So, And you actually had Dickie Betts perform it. Yeah, Dickie Betts came and he, uh, he actually came with his band Great Southern and dedicated the building. And uh, it actually was kind of a fun story because there's a conference room here named Dickie Betts. Mm -hmm. And he was in the Dickie Betts conference room, you know, signing autographs and everything. And then he walked out and there was there's a huge portrait of him, a gigantic portrait of him outside this conference room. So he's looking at it. He turns to me and he goes, now, George, what is it you do here? <laughs> I thought I was talking or something. A conference room in Cambridge, Massachusetts with my name and picture on it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That is fantastic. Yeah. So there's, there's 120 conference rooms in this building, and they're all named after musicians. Wow. Yeah. Even my least favorite band, 
which is the Grateful Dead. I have to agree with you on that. I just, I, I've I never been able to listen to it. I just can't. I just can't get into it. And people are like, oh, you're crazy. I'm like, I can't. Like, I love all types of music, all types. And that's just one band I can't. Yeah. You want to you hear my favorite rock and roll joke? Sure. What, what, what did one deadhead say to the other deadhead when the drugs ran out? I don't know. This music sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's very appropriate. I, I, I agree with that. Thousand percent. Yeah. So what's the data of people playing the guitar in the in, in the lobby? Is it like 10 percent, 20? I, I bet it's five. I bet it's five percent. Yeah. We probably get we probably give away, I don't know, 20 book, 20 bucks a month, something, something like that. And have you had people like just start to really jam out? Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and by the way, some really good guitar players come through. Yeah. And in, we have a cafe in the building, too, and it has it has drums, it has three guitars, bass, piano. And, and so um, there's a lot of musicians at the company. We play a lot of music here. Ah, so fun. Yeah. Very cool. Well, yeah. George, thanks so much for sharing you know, your background story and the Forrester success story. And obviously your call football, which I'll be keeping an eye on to see what, uh, what happens with the next season. But uh, And of course, thanks for sharing all your words of wisdom. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I had a great time. Great conversation. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.